Hello friends, I am coming to you live from my front porch once again. Love my front porch. So much therapy happens for me out here. I have actually attempted this podcast multiple times and I just have either gotten interrupted or one thing or another, I just couldn't finish it. And so I've it's been a while since I have brought my thoughts to you all, but I have been still doing a lot of active work work on myself. And I feel like it's been good, really good. In fact, there's so much that has kind of clicked into place for me recently. Um, And I think it's largely because of all the hard work that I have been doing. So I'm just going to dive right in with my current thoughts, my current work. My, my road seems a little bit busy this afternoon. I think it's because um, I'm coming to you later in the afternoon, about five, and so people are headed home. It's not normally this busy, so sorry about that background noise. Um, I have been really doing a lot of exploring of my own emotions, specifically my own shame, And, um, it's been good. I know that I have a lot of shame around my headaches. I have a lot of shame around being a mother. And I'm sure there's some other places that I have some shame, like from my childhood, but I haven't quite grasped those ones yet. Um... But because I've been wanting to do a little bit more exploring of these two shame places, um, I took two days after going to the beach with my boys and uh, by myself and just did a ton of intensive research on it. And it's shame, you know, is kind of a big topic right now with Brene Brown, a whole bunch of other people who, um, you know, are bringing it to the forefront of our minds. And I've read multiple books by uh, Brene Brown, nearly all of them. And I believe I've read all of the ones that I've read, I've read more than once or listened to via Audible, which works well for me. Um, And I've done that in the past, but it, it feels more relevant to me now as I'm doing the work that I'm currently doing. So I wanna just recap about shame. Um, I do this podcast largely for myself. It's a way that I can process all of these thoughts and kind of keep them logged in one place because I'm somebody who reads a lot of different things at one time. I'm kind of neurotic that way where I will read a little bit here, a little bit there. I have like 10 books on my nightstand and I'm kind of cycling through them, whichever hits my fancy at the time. But I find what that does for me is helps me be able to draw lines um, through them of Uh, similarities or connection points um, that really are effective for me. So this is kind of my place where I am like putting all of these thoughts from different places into one and I'm hoping I'll be able to draw my connection points through them as well. And then I also do it because I'm hoping it'll be helpful for someone else. Um, Yeah, I really do hope it'll be helpful for someone else. Uh, But again, you know, I'm only putting this out to a handful of my closest friends that I feel um, can handle it. So (laughs) 
you know, I don't know how helpful it's going to be to you all. Anyway, I want to talk about the definition of shame, at least via Brene Brown. And I, I really, this really resonates with me and it feels like a true definition. So uh, shame is the intense, intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Quote, I am bad. I am a mess. The focus is on self, not on behavior, with the result that we feel alone, shame is never known to lead us to positive change. Oh, and it's that last part that has really um, spurred me, motivated me to uh, explore my shame and try to kick it to the curb. Because I think I have, I not think, I know I have used shame to motivate myself to change my behavior. And while it might temporarily do something for me, it's not going to lead me to positive change in the end. Um, and, and then this, uh, this line here, that it's the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging, which I think is interesting because I wonder if you can believe you are flawed, but still believe you're worthy of love and belonging. In fact, I don't wonder. I think it's it's true. And I think that's the point that Brene Brown is trying to make in her research is that, you know, there, there are the people who live that wholehearted life that she's talking about are the people who understand they are flawed, but still believe they are worthy of love and belonging. So for me, I know that I feel like I am deeply flawed um, regarding my headaches and I am deeply flawed as a parent, as a mother specifically, and therefore, like, I don't feel worthy. So to explore those two shame points a little bit further, um, the pain one is complicated. You know, so many people will say to me, oh, but it's not your fault. You know, you need to just relax and take care of yourself and, and, and do what you need to do to take care of yourself because it's not your fault. Well, yes, I agree. It's, I don't feel like it's my fault. Now, maybe I'm doing something to keep myself in a perpetual state of pain, um, especially with the pain science that's out there right now. You know, chronic long-term pain is often associated with um, stress and uh, kind of the neurons that, a neurological pathway that gets defined and therefore can, you know, you continue to kind of jump on the same bandwagon, which is the bandwagon of pain whenever stress happens in your life. And I think that is definitely true in my case. I think there are other extenuating circumstances that have, like, made it hard for me to just... Uh, evacuate pain from my life or stress from my life because stress can show up in all sorts of ways not just mental and emotional but you know toxic stress and toxic load on my body is a big one for me um, that I don't always have control over um, as well as genetic you know genetic issues that I have um, like oxidative stress issues that um, I also don't always have control over uh, but largely like the pain, people say that's not your fault, you don't need to beat yourself up or whatever, but it gets complicated because I can't just lay around and do, quote, what I need to do to take care of myself because often when I have a headache, I have it for days and months and years. 
you know, I have had it for days and months and years. Lately, it's been, it's given me more breaks, which is great. But um, you can't just lie around for days and months and years. And on top of that, it turns me into a different person, a person that I don't like. Somebody who's impatient and, and emotionally volatile. Someone who, I wouldn't say volatile, emotionally triggered. Um, it... I just am more short and less um, kind and soft with my responses to things. I, I get upset more easily. And all of that makes sense. Anybody who has struggled with chronic pain or even a one-day, two-day headache understands how that can happen. But all the same, my most of my life, I would say 90% of my life since I was 12 years old has been lived in that state. So then I, I start to believe that's who I am. That's what my personality is. And that is how my kids and my husband have known me to be. And so there's a lot of guilt there because that's not the person that I want to be. Um, and I feel like I should be able to control that and change that, but I haven't done a very good job of it. Um, and then there's the guilt or shame that comes from just putting my kids through through this, right? And I, I get that everybody's got something and, and, you know, this is just our something. But it's, it's still present. The shame for, the, for it is still present for me. And I, I don't want to just ignore it. I feel like I need to grab it by the balls and look it in the eyes. <laughs> um, and then... I discovered that I have a lot of shame around being a mom and thinking back about this definition like it's an experience or a painful feeling that you believe you are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging and I really think that because my personality feels like it is the way that it is largely or partly at least because of the headaches um, that that I am flawed and therefore not worthy to be a mother. That, I, you know, there are other things that I feel worthy. I feel worthy to be a friend, even with that flaw. I feel worthy to be a daughter and a sister. Um, I wonder, I have to explore the thought about worthiness of being a wife. I'm not sure. I think I might struggle there as well, which is interesting. I, this is the first time I've thought about that one. But I definitely have realized or noticed that I feel unworthy to be a mother. And I remember the night that Joel and I decided to take the plunge and um, have children, you know. I was petrified. I was scared. And it was only because of Joel's reassurance that we could do this together that he was going to be there with me and because he was such a stellar person in my eyes that I felt like okay any shortcoming I have he would definitely be able to make up for well oof, that's problematic isn't it <laughs> super not fair on him um but definitely uh messed messed with me right like that's not even fair to me um and, and so I've kind of lived my parenting journal journey with that kind of paradigm, like that kind of lens. And so when things happen and things go wrong, 
I am assuming it's because I'm deeply flawed and I'm really not worthy of this job. And so I have to fight my ass off to feel worthy, right? And, and yet I'm constantly proving to myself how unworthy I am. And in many ways, if I can step back, I look and see how ridiculous that is, how absolutely ridiculous that is. And yet it, it's still something that affects how I go through my life. And it's almost as a mother, and it's almost like, a, in fact, I would say it is a self-fulfilling prophecy where you think you are unworthy and so you're always finding the things that prove you are right that negativity bias so what happens if i were to shift that paradigm and start believing that i am worthy even though i am flawed how would that change the way that i parent or at least the way that i feel about myself while parenting oof just such heavy stuff. I don't know if any of you can relate to this. Sometimes I feel like it's it's unique to me, but it can't be. Surely it can't be unique to me. Um, I, I remember when I had justice that I dove head first into being a mom, threw my whole heart into it, stopped working because I knew with my headaches and health that I wouldn't be able to work and be a mom and be a wife. Um, and so I, I dove in to do the best job that I could. And I still felt like it was a crappy, unworthy, like effort. (laughs) Okay. So a little bit more on shame as I did shame research search, uh, there, There were just some things that stood out to me about shame that I feel like are super relevant and I want to highlight again. So shame, of course, begets more shame, right? Like you do something shameful and you feel shame and then, or you, sorry, I don't want to say you do something shameful. You do something, you feel shame and you are more likely to then do something that creates more shame. And this has happened in my life over and over and over again. (laughs) And I can see uh, it something that happens in my children too, especially if I'm not careful to, to step in to the shame cycle um, and help stop it. Uh, Shame thrives in silence, and it doesn't like words wrapped around it. It means it just wants to sit there and do its thing. It doesn't want anybody to talk about it doesn't want anybody to bring it to the light, especially the person experiencing shame. It thrives in silence. Um, And this is a point that I have found really helpful for myself, this next one, that being shamed and feeling shame are actually two different things. Um, And that to be free from shame, you must talk about it, which is what I'm trying to do here. Go self, go self. But um, but the first part, being shamed and feeling shamed are actually two different things. Uh, this is actually off a podcast I listened to by, um, by Brene, her Unlocking Us. And she was talking about this in the context of social justice and shame and social justice and how um, there's a difference between shaming someone and holding someone accountable. And I, I'll probably talk a little bit more about this in a bit, but um, the accountability piece. But 
you can say something to someone or rather someone can say something to you and it can create shame in you but that person wasn't necessarily shaming you they weren't talking down to you they weren't being sarcastic they weren't um uh, belittling you. They weren't calling you names. They were not shaming you, but whatever it was that they said could trigger shame in you. And those two things are totally different and separate. Um, someone can also belittle you, talk down to you and do all of those shaming things. And you can not allow it to create shame in you. It may be shaming, but you could be a self, um, enlightened person enough that you can not experience that that warm wash of shame as Brene calls it um, and for me that that was an important point especially as I had an experience right before I left for the beach where I was really with the boys two of my boys I was really excited about going I felt like oh this is going to be healthy for us the last time we went on a trip to the beach uh, by myself with the boys it turned out to be one of my most favorite vacations ever and it just was fun and relaxing and everything I needed it to be so I was really thinking yeah this is good we need a change of scenery we've been locked in this little house during COVID for too long together change of scenery would be good and then I had a conversation with Joel that just made me spiral into a shame place made me feel feel like I was unfit to be a mother, that I needed monitoring, that I really shouldn't go and be alone with my kids ever because there are so, you know, many things that I am out of control with and um, I have ruined my children's lives. And if I haven't ruined my children's lives yet, then I would most definitely will and that I'm probably the cause of all of the things that are wrong with them. I mean, you know, it just kept spiraling until I stopped myself and was like, whoa, 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 wait a second. 20 minutes ago, you were fine and excited. What has changed? And it was that I felt shame. And that wasn't even necessarily Joel's intention, but that is what I felt. And I realized I needed to change my story in my own head, because if I kept going down that line of thinking, that shaming spiral, then inevitably when something happened at the beach between um, my kids and I, I would be like, see, See, this is proof that I can't handle my kids on my own, that I am out of control and I need, um, I need somebody to be here with me because I can't parent in a healthy way. And it wouldn't matter what it was because, you know, something was going to happen. Something's going to come up with the boys in a week's time. Somebody's going to have trouble. And when it happened, it would have been confirmation of my inability to handle being a parent, my unworthiness of being a parent. Once I recognized that, then I could tell myself, whoa, 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 wait a second, Kristen. And this took a good conversation with a girlfriend who really helped as well. But um, wait a minute, Kristen, before you were excited and these were the reasons why you were excited. And guess what? You have done a lot of hard, damn hard work on yourself since the beginning of quarantine. And you are in a different place to be able to have different perspective, to be able to have, you know, a different reaction, to be able to handle things 
differently. And if you don't, if you slip up and you go back to some of the old ways, it's okay because you know how to go back and talk to your kids about it. And that is a a huge difference. It makes a huge difference to go back and talk to your kids when some kind of altercation has happened or shaming thing has happened that you can have a conversation with them and and put words around the shame um so that being able to tell myself no 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 girlfriend you got this because yeah shit's gonna happen excuse my language it's gonna happen and when it does you know what to do you can do this you don't need monitoring You are a grown-ass woman. You don't need monitoring. You can do this. You are not a mental health case. You're asking all the right questions. You'll mess up because you are flawed and you are human. But you are worthy to be their mother and you can do this. And that that totally made all the difference for me. Because when things did happen with my kids, I was able to remind myself, Oh, look, see, here it is. This is normal. This is going to happen. I got this. I got this. I can deal with it. And it really did make a difference for me. Um, This kind of goes, this next part goes back to the whole silence thing. But to be free from shame, we have to talk about it. Um, I, I think another thing that is was really helpful for me to keep in mind is that everybody has shame everybody it is a part of the human experience like I'm kind of started out thinking oh I need to eliminate shame from my life completely and if I'm shame feeling shame then I am failing like miserably and I will feel shame about that failure because I'm not supposed to feel shame but that's that's not how it works everybody feels shame as a human being the only people who don't are sociopaths and that is not the kind of person we want to be (laughs) that's that's not healthy that is not normal typical healthy human behavior and so part of normal typical healthy human behavior is the experience of shame now what we do with that shame is you know determines um, our well-being and our happiness in life so to learn how to to deal and cope with shame is an important skill Um, but you know you have to recognize it first you have to even recognize shame which I think sometimes uh, it can be hard Because it masks itself in so many things, anger, sadness, frustration, um, lots of things. Um, So what I realized is I have to stop shaming myself for feeling shame. I just have to be able to say, oh, there's the shame. Yeah, that's normal. People feel shame when for things like this. It's normal. That's normal. That's good. I'm a normal human being. That's awesome. I'm not a sociopath. The little things we have to celebrate. This is good news that I am experiencing shame. Um, So if I can stop myself and and be aware that that's what's happening. Oh, my gosh. That's like the meta whatever, you know, where you are realizing that you're feeling it, right? You're not just feeling it, but you're realizing that you're feeling it. Like that's that's a big step in, um, you know, self actualization and, and emotional intelligence and things like that. So shame also corrodes. I love this actually. Shame also it corrodes the very part of us that believes we are capable of change, which is why it's so dangerous, right? 
Because if we don't think we can change, then we're not going to change. And shame corrodes the belief that we can change. And so it keeps us in the place we don't want to be, which just perpetuates the shame. But if we believe we can change, then then we have a chance of getting out of a shame cycle. And this is a, a very, t- this is a big Brene Brown quote right here. I'm sure you've heard. But we are imperfect. We are wired for struggle, but we are worthy of love and belonging despite that. And I definitely feel like wired for struggle is like, like behind my name in the dictionary is little parentheses that say wired for struggle. <laughs> so I, I, that one I need to keep up somewhere in my house. So grace, on the other hand, um, which is the opposite of shame, means that all of your mistakes now serve a purpose instead of serving shame. I, I just love that. All your mistakes serve a purpose. That's what grace is. Shame needs three things to grow exponentially in our lives. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. Whew. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. That's what shame needs. And the last thing we need um, in our struggles is shame for being human. Hmm. I think I need that tattooed somewhere. (laughs) Somewhere I can see it. What we don't need in our struggles is shame for being a human. And I shame myself regularly for being human. And one of the reasons why I do that is to get myself to function at a level that I think I need to function at, especially with my headaches as I'm looking at how everybody else is functioning and I think I need to function at that level. Shame was my primary way of getting myself to do that. So um, here's some more thoughts. Unused creativity is not benign. It metastasizes. It turns into grief, rage, judgment, sorrow, and shame. Unused creativity. And you all know me. I got a lot of creativity. (laughs) Maybe that's the correlation between the depth of my shame is the depth of my creativity. I don't know. But I definitely feel the least shaming feelings when I am in a creative mode, for sure. Um, where perfectionism is driving, shame is riding shotgun. Whew. Let me read that again because there was a lot of noise out there. Where perfectionism is driving, shame is riding shotgun. Ugh. Can you guys relate to that? Perfectionism drives shame around like you know best buds uh those who have a strong sense of love and belonging have the courage to be imperfect they have the courage to be imperfect i think i do in certain areas of my life i have the courage to be imperfect for sure other areas not so much Guilt is healthy when it allows us to admit our shortcomings, but shame crucifies us for not being perfect. Ooh, what a strong word. Crucifies us for not being perfect. But guilt 
allows us to admit our short shortcomings. There's a difference, right? I'm going to see if there's any other things that I want to mention right now before I read that. I did want to talk about um, this idea of uh, shame versus accountability, that um, someone can hold us accountable and it will sometimes feel like shaming to us. Um, but if they're not doing those things which are shaming, you know, calling us names, belittling us, being um, sarcastic and kind of undermining, then they're not shaming us. You can hold someone accountable without shaming someone. And I thought this was interesting that in the light of like social justice, that oftentimes when there's a power over and a power under, um, situation where there's not like equal power the only way for the people in the under power position to hold the overpower people accountable is to protest I thought that was very interesting that there's no other way for underpowered people to hold overpowered people accountable besides protest and I think that's interesting um, when you think of it in in light of a parent teen kind of or parent-child relationship you'll often see protest happening right I know I have and it, it should make you stop and think about um, kind of how you're going about the whole balance of power in your relationship with your child I think that's another note though um, so accountability is not comfortable but accountability is not shaming um yeah so i think that's all i have to say about that um and shame resilience has to be a part of our anti-racist work shame resilience has to be a part of our parenting shame resilience has to be a part of anti-racist work according to Brene brown and i think that's true because as these things are being brought to us, especially as white people by the black community, it is, some of those things are very, very hard to hear. And that's where some of the work that I've done with uh, Harriet Lerner's stuff um, has really helped me to realize, oh, whenever I am feeling defensive, which usually is a reaction to shame, then I am experiencing a very small platform of self-worth. If you don't have a large platform of self-worth to stay balanced on, then anything that rocks your boat is going to tip you over into the waters of shame. <laughs> and I have definitely noticed that about myself. So I have been trying to remind myself when I know that, or I feel like I'm going to be going into a situation that I'm gonna experience shame, Kristen, you have to get on your platform of large, your large platform of self-worth. Don't let your platform shrink. You are worthy. Even if you're making mistakes, you are worthy. Keep your platform large. Keep it balanced. Um, and that is just as important in anti-racist work as it is in you know, marriage relationships, business relationships, any kind of 
partnership or relationship, parenting, it is important to make sure that you have a large platform of self-worth so you can handle the criticism and the feelings of other people. Um, when I talked earlier about the whole um, shame, feeling shame and being shamed are two different things, uh, I, I have to remember that when I'm in relationship, especially with my spouse or my kids, because I will often feel responsibility for their feelings just automatically, right? My kids don't like what I'm asking them to do. They get upset. They get angry. They get mad. They feel like it's unjust. I feel like I'm being unfair. I start feeling like the Wicked Witch of the West, right? Um, or if my husband comes to me with some concerns that are his own, right? Like they're coming from his own fears and his own shame triggers, his own worries, his own thoughts. Possibly they are founded um you know, well-founded and possibly they aren't. But when he comes to me with them, I need to have a large platform of self-worth or my world is going to be rocked and I will not be able to hear what he is saying to me. I will not be able to hear his hurts and his struggles. I will not be able to validate his feelings. I will not be able to help him process his feelings and emotions so that we can have a relationship that is um, strongly bonded. Because part of uh, strongly bonded relationships is um, the, the helping of one another to carry those burdens and to process those burdens of fe strong feelings and emotions. So if I can't do that processing with him, it's going to affect our, our long-term well-being as a couple and as individuals. It's going to affect our long-term relationship, our bondingness with each other, how deep and our bond is with each other. So I need to be able to have a large platform of self-worth so that I can help him with those things. I also need to be able to recognize when maybe he's standing on a small platform of self-worth and it's affecting how he is relating to me, which is not, not my responsibility to do anything about, but it is helpful to know and see sometimes um, what's happening. Um, I don't think it's always helpful to point it out, but I think it can be helpful to me to understand, okay, this is a moment where he is struggling with his own self-worth. This has nothing to do with me. Um, let me see. So there, are, I then did some research on, okay, so what do you do? How do you change the trajectory of shame? Um, and this is some of the things that I came up with. So you have to know what triggers are that shame you. What your what are your triggers? And I have a feeling I probably have a lot of them. And I'm not fully aware of all of them. But one of these days I need to sit down and actually write out the list of things that I know trigger me. I think that would be really interesting. Probably pretty hard. And I would imagine some of the triggers I am completely unaware of. My husband could probably tell me what they are. And I would need to have a very large platform of self-worth in order to be able to hear him tell me what they are. I don't know that I'm ready for that yet. <laughs> um, you also need to get a reality check um, from someone that you trust, right? Uh, when I was doing the shame spiral before I went to the beach with my two younger boys by myself, I called up my girlfriend and she really helped me to get some perspective. It was very helpful. Um, 
I think we need to reach out and share our, our stories with each other, right? You have to speak it, put words around it. Don't let it live in secrecy and silence and judgment. So that means you have to have a safe place to share those stories. And thank you, friends, for being that safe place. Um, yeah, and then you have to speak about the shame. So fear is false evidence appearing real. And it's good to keep that in mind with shame that um, we can make evidence against ourselves appear real so easily, so easily. We're very gullible people. Um, vulnerability is our most accurate measure of courage, right? That's another Brene Brown quote. Vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. So if we're going to change the shame cycle in us, then we need to um, be vulnerable, which is really hard, right? Shame's the swampland of the soul. Is Shame is the gremlin that says you aren't good enough. You aren't good enough. Or it will say, who do you think you are? Ooh, I get that one a lot. When I do, especially when, when I'm wanting to do one of these podcasts, I will often be like, who do I think I am? Like people are going to want to hear what I have to say because I'm someone super special. Well, that, that is definitely a shame gremlin happening there. Guilt will focus our behavior, but shame, um, guilt is focused on our behavior, but shame is focused on ourself, our person. Empathy is actually the antidote to shame. And that's why self-compassion is so important when we're trying to tackle our own shame, because empathy is a large part of self-compassion. It is only one branch of three when it comes to self-compassion, but it's, you know, it's important work. Um, if we're going to find our way back to each other, we have to be vulnerable. Um, so especially in relationships that have maybe been broken from shame, we have to, we have to be vulnerable to find our way back to each other. I think about that, um, in light of, you know, when I've had moments with my children that are less than, you know, perfect, (laughs) that are very imperfect, very human moments, um, I have to go back and be vulnerable with them. So here's another interesting thing that shame actually, it triggers our limbic system, our fight, flight, or freeze. For me, it triggers my fight mode for sure. And it's an automatic response. That doesn't mean we can't unlearn those automatic responses, but we have to first be aware of them happening before we can actually change them, right? Change, to change that, we must... Um, we, we must get that prefrontal cortex back online. We have to get our thinking brain back online. We have to recognize that we're in fight, flight, or shame, or fight, fight, flight, or freeze, or in a shame, shaming place. And then we have to get our thinking brain back online. And, and I, that example that I gave about my shame spiral before I went to the beach is, is a perfect example of that. I went into f- fight mode. I, or I think actually I was going into flight mode because I was thinking, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. This is, you know, there's no way I can take my boys to the beach, right? Um, I was going down that shame spiral. And then I was like, wait a second. What, what just happened there? There's been a dramatic change. Why? 
So then I was able to get my thinking brain back online and, and I was able to get calmed down with the help of a friend as well. So um, that's what we first have to do to deal with shame, our shame triggers. And, you know, Brene Brown's mantra of, I'm here to get it right, I'm not here to be right, is, is really good to keep in mind. Um, it's just a good to keep in mind in general for being a human, right? God put us here on this earth. He knew we were imperfect. He is not expecting us to be perfect, but he is expecting us to continue to work on ourselves and improve. We're here to get it right, not to be right. So trying to think if there's any last thoughts. Um, I'm kind of excited to see where I go with all of this in my own personal life. Just the, the weight that is lifted off um, when I truly am able to grasp these concepts of, oh, yeah, there is, there is nothing weird or abnormal about me. I am flawed, but so is every other human being on this planet. And how egocentric of it, of me to think that I am more flawed than any other human on the planet, or even more, you know, one human on this earth that I am more flawed than them. Um, it's just, it's just simply not true. So what a burden to, that is relief, relieved from my shoulders when I can think that through. And to realize that, oh no, if I continue to go down a shame spiral, nothing good's going to come of it. It's just not going to be helpful, so don't do it. As I learn to be my own best friend, give myself empathy and compassion... Um, as I learn to do the things I need to do to take care of myself, to truly take care of myself, because it's nobody else's responsibility, I am giving myself the things that I need to change, to get out of shame cycles, to recognize shame when it happens, and to change my story afterward. And all of that is very empowering. So I think that's all. I hope it, you found it helpful. I know many of you have thought of these concepts before or read these concepts before from Brene Brown. So I know it's not like anything um, new that I'm bringing up, but, and, but I do think it's helpful just to continue to think about them in new ways, different filters over and over again. So I hope you found it helpful, friends. Of course, I would love to hear your thoughts. Send me an email, send me a text, share with me your stories, uh, share with me anything that stood out. I would love to hear from you. And I will continue to try to do um, these podcasts because there are many more things I have to chat about. So this was kind of a long one, and I'm sorry. But I love you all and hope that you have um, a good rest of the summer. All right. Bye.